Uh, most of you noticed, most of you noticed a, a little sheet of paper while the choir is finding their place. Uh, you noticed a little sheet of paper in the chair beside you. And this is what I need you to do. This is what I need you to do. Most of y'all remember last week we, we kicked off a series on bitterness and forgiveness. Things that, that have happened to us in our past, wounds, hurts, things that have caused great pain to come within us and maybe even uh, developed into bitterness. And we said the only way to cure that is forgiveness. But sometimes in life, when you've been hurt deeply, it's hard to forgive. Do I have a witness? It's hard to forgive when you can't forget. It's hard to forgive when it seems like the wound came from somebody real close. Are y'all with me? But this is what I need you to do, and this is very important. This is an exercise that I do with people that I counsel and I encourage and help. And this is what I need you to do with this piece of paper. There are no, there are no places for names on here. It's just a few lines. And this is what I want you to do. Sometime during the message, I want you to write down your hurt. I want you to write down what you need to forgive. That thing that happened to you, that thing that was said to you, whatever that might be, that you feel like the Lord, and God will tell you, don't worry, you don't have to, well, man, what can I think of? You don't have to do that, because God will tell you. God already probably told you last week, amen? But I want you to write it down. Don't put no names on it. Don't put no names on it. Don't let your neighbor see it. And you say, well, uh, uh, so-and-so did it. Well, just put so-and-so, amen? Uh, God knows who the so-and-so is. We don't want no names. But I want you to write that down. Whatever that issue is, whatever that hurt is, I want you to write that down, and I want you to fold it up. I want you to fold it up, and I'm going to tell you what to do with it at the end of the service. No human being will ever see that piece of paper. Only the Lord's eyes will see what you put on that piece of paper. And I want you to be real. I want you to be honest, because there is a reason. Church, say Amen. All right. And matter of fact, just put it in your hand and hold on to it because I have a feeling you'll have a clenched fist somewhere during the service. Say amen. amen. Did we have any first-timers? If you filled out one of those first-time attender cards, our prayer cards, we are so glad that you're here this morning and we prayed for you and we want to pray for you still. So if you uh, filled out that prayer request card, can you hold it up real high? Just hold it up and wave so somebody can see it and they'll grab it in the back back there. Hey, let's give all our first-timers a hand. Come on, everybody. Let them know you're glad to see them. Amen. Amen. All right, we are in Ephesians chapter number 4. Now, I put, on, I put on the notes for them guys back there, 31 and 32, but I want to go back and read verse 26 uh, and 27 first, okay? Uh, in, in Ephesians 4, verse 26, the Bible says, Be ye angry, be ye angry. You know, sometimes we think it's a sin to be angry, but it's not. Anger is an emotion that God has given every human being. I think we need to be angry at sin. Would you say amen? I think we need to be angry at injustice. When I see people being done wrong, when I see uh, the indefensible being mistreated, uh, that makes me angry. But the Bible says this, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil been so many times in my life that I've gotten angry and I've allowed the devil a foothold in my life. What do we do about it? What do we do about it? Verse 31. Verse 31. Let all what? Bitterness and wrath and anger 
and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now read it with me together, church. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Let's, let's read verse 32 again. How do we keep from being angry and sinning not? How do, we, how do we keep from the devil having a foothold in our life? How do we keep bitterness from taking root in our soul and thus growing to destroy us? Read it with me. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Father, help me today. Help me to help people. Help me to help me. Help me to help others in such a way that we can finally be free. We can finally find deliverance for that thing that's been torturing us for years and years and years. God, there's so many people here today that's broken and they need redemption. They need release. They need, Lord, you to come and bring healing into their soul. God, I pray, Lord, that your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to introduce you to two people, two people today that went through the same atrocities, the same, the same hellish environment, and uh, probably experienced things that most human beings in this building will never experience in a lifetime. One's name is Simon Wisenthal, the other is Corey Tinboom. First, I want you to know they both experienced the same thing, they, they both experienced the same hurt. They both went through the same difficulty, but they came out of it in two different ways. Because of a decision that they made, they experienced life after their wound a totally different way. First of all, Simon, Simon, he lost 89 relatives in Hitler's death camps. He devoted his life to finding Nazi war criminals. He was hunting men down in their 70s and 80s, and he wouldn't give up. They were answering, when are you going to stop and enjoy life? When are you going to stop and, 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 and spend your life for you? He answered the question by writing a book. And the book begins with a true experience that he himself had when he was in a concentration camp as a prisoner. One day he was yanked out of a work detail and taken up a back stairway to a dark hospital room. A nurse led him into the room and then left him alone with a figure wrapped in white lying on a bed. The figure was a badly wounded German soldier whose entire face was covered with bandages. His name was Carl. With a trembling voice, the German made a kind of confession to Wiesendahl. He told how he had been brought up in a Nazi family and the fighting he had experienced on the Russian front and the brutal measures his SS unit had taken against Jews. And then he told of a terrible, terrible atrocity. All the Jews in a certain town were herded into a wooden building and then his unit set the fire, set the building on fire. Now Carl had taken an active part in the crimes and several times Wisenthal tried to get up and leave the room but each time the ghost-like figure would reach out and beg him to stay. Finally after two hours Carl told Wisenthal why he had summoned him. The soldier had asked the nurse if any Jews still existed and if so he wanted one brought to his room so he could clear his conscience. He then said to Wisenthal, I am left here with my guilt. I don't know who you are. All I know is that you are a Jew and that is enough. I know that what I'm asking is almost too much for you, but without your answer, I cannot die in peace. Carl asked for forgiveness for all the Jews he had killed. He asked for forgiveness from a man who might soon die. Wisenthal sat in silence for some time. He stared at the man's bandaged face and at last, without saying a word, 
he stood up and left the room, and he left the soldier to die in torment unforgiven. Unforgiven. This was really more than Simon could bear. It seemed to he was dissatisfied with his action, and he, he went over it and over it with his companions. He even went and visited Carl's mother. In his book, he asked 32 rabbis and also Christian theologians and secular philosophers to comment on it. What would you have done? What would you have done? What would, have, what would, what would your response have been? Out of 32 people, he asked the majority, said he had done right in leaving the soldier unforgiven. Only six people said he had done wrong. Yet the Bible says we have the privilege of granting forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Dr. David Seaman in, in the book Healing for Damaged Emotions said this, the two primary causes of emotional stress are the failure to forgive and the failure to receive forgiveness. Now regardless of, regardless of what you think should have happened, regardless of how, how you feel about his actions, whether you feel like he was right or wrong, let me explain uh, that this message today is not about how you feel about something. This is about right and wrong, this is about truth, and this is about what will actually happen, reality versus what our fantasy is. Because see, in our mind, if we don't forgive, I'll feel better. If he'll hurt like I hurt, I'll feel better. But do you realize the rest of Simon's life, he spent his whole life hunting men down to get them to pay for what was done for him, and he never got to enjoy life. To the fullest because he was not willing to forgive now here's the deal today I want to share with you three things and I, I, I have to do this quick and and so I need you to pay close attention uh, three areas in the Bible that deal with or talk about forgiveness forgiveness is easy preaching but hard living are y'all with me here we find the first story I want to share with you is the story of a man by the name of Joseph. If you will look in your Bible in Genesis, you will find there is a story of a young man who had brethren who hated him, who had brethren who mistreated him. Here he is. He has a vision. He has a destiny. He has a dream given to him by God. And be careful when you get a dream because everybody's not going to like it. But this man had a dream, and he, he, we, we, I'm not going to go over the story. You know the story. He had a coat of many colors that which represented he was the golden child, if you will. And, and his brothers hated him. They hated him for his dream. They hated him for his words. They hated him for everything that he represented. And they took him and threw him in a pit. They mistreated him, abused him, uh, probably whooped up on him a little bit, threw him in a pit, took his coat of many colors, and sold him into slavery. And one thing leads to another. Uh, uh, we, have, we have people, gypsies coming by, uh, uh, and they sell him. They sell him to these merchants. They sell him to these slave traders, and, and they take him as a slave to a nation of Egypt. And here he is now in Potiphar's house. He is a, he is a, a high-ranking official in the government of Pharaoh, and, and he is now a slave. He goes from being the golden child. He goes from being the, the anointed one, if you will. He goes to being the father's favorite. Now he's nothing but a slave. His brothers have mistreated him. His brothers have abused him. His brothers have sold him into slavery. It's one thing to be abused by a stranger, but it's a whole other thing to 
to be abused by a family member. And here he is, a slave, and as time goes by, y'all know the story, all he does is write, all he does is what he's supposed to do, and now he is getting lied upon. Potiphar's wife lusts after him and wants to lay with him, but he refuses, so she lies and says he tried to rape her, and now he's thrown into prison. He goes from bad to worse. He tries to help everybody he can in prison. He interprets their dreams, and he said, please remember me, get me out of here, and they Forget him. There's nothing hurts like feeling like somebody forgot you. And all of a sudden, God elevates him. He's on the throne. He's second in command. He's second only to Pharaoh in the kingdom. Every knee in the kingdom bows down to him. And y'all know the story. Seven years of plenty. Seven years of famine. After the seven years of plenty, there's famine in the land, and everybody has to come to Egypt for land. Now, all of a sudden, here he is. He is in charge. He is the one distributing the food. He is the one distributing everything, and he is sitting on the throne, minding his own business, and all of a sudden, guess who walks through the door? His brothers. Now, if you'll go read, if you'll go read, the Bible says, The Bible says when they came into the door, he saw them and he made himself unknown to him because, see, he was speaking in the Egyptian language and now he looks like an Egyptian. He's already been there and spent so much time there. He looks like an Egyptian. They didn't recognize him. And the Bible says he spake roughly with them. I believe with all of my heart, I believe with all of my heart that the moment that he saw them men, the moment that he saw them boys, every emotion raised up in his spirit, every memory of abuse, every bad word they said, everything they did to hurt him, every moment that he spent in the prison, every moment that he spent in that pit thinking he was going to die, every moment he spent as a slave come rising up in him and all of a sudden all that pent up emotion and anger is there and he spake rough to them but then God done something the Bible says and then Joseph remembered the dream preacher what are you getting at here's the point here's the point Joseph said something after to his brethren after a a time period goes by and I'm not going to go into all the details But the Bible says in Genesis 50, when it was all said and done, and he had his brothers in front of him, he revealed himself to his brothers. They were scared to death. Can you imagine what they thought? Can you imagine what they thought when when now this one that we have abused, this one that we have mistreated, this one that we have done wrong, now he is in charge, now he is on the throne, now he can take our life. Can you imagine what they thought? Can you imagine what what I would have done if I was Joseph? I'd have forgave him, but I'd have messed with him first. Say amen. I said, oh, oh, oh. Uh, uh. now don't look at me all self-righteous. You know you would have too. But this is what Joseph said. Genesis 50. And Joseph said unto them, fear not, for I am in the place of God. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. To bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now, I, now I, I, I 
looked up that word mint, and it's, it's the, the Hebrew word kashab, which means to weave or to braid or to fabricate. I mean to work something together, to bring a little of this and a little of that and put it together to make something happen. You say, preacher, what's the point? The Bible says in Romans 8, 28, for all things work together for good that them that love the Lord. What is it? That is his purpose. That is his plan. God can take the bad and God can take the good. I don't believe that God ordains rape. I don't believe God ordains murder. I don't believe God ordains half the junk that goes on in society in this world. I believe it is a direct cause of the curse on society but I do believe this. God can take anything. I said anything that comes into your life and he can fabricate it. He can braid it. He can weave it with the good. Even weave it with the bad. And he can take anything anybody brings against you and he can make it good. Make it good. What's the point? The first thing I want you to see about forgiveness is there's always a bigger picture. There is always a bigger picture. When he was in the pit, he couldn't see it. When he was a slave, he couldn't see it. When he was in the prison, he couldn't see it. All he could see was my hurt today. All he could feel is what I feel today. All he knew is what he was going through today. But God was looking up in heaven and realizing that every time man came against him, every time the devil tried to destroy him, every time man done him wrong, every time man hurt him, he was one step closer to his destiny one step closer to where God had planned him to be and I don't care who you are I don't care what has come against you there is a bigger picture and when you can see that bigger picture it's a whole lot easier to forgive that one to hurt you because all they done was get you closer to where God wanted you to be to begin with mm. watch this he has a dream God gives him a dream. God says, you're going you're gonna to sit on a throne. Now, how's this shepherd boy going to sit on a throne? How's he going to sit on a throne? Where's that coming from? Have you lost your mind? What kind of dream is that? They throw him in a pit. He started with a dream. That was God's design. That was God's plan. But his brother's done him wrong. Now, watch this. Hey, he said, you meant it for evil. Yeah, that one that hurt you, they probably meant it. But God had other plans. God didn't mean for you to get hurt, but he means to change it for your good. And then they sold him into slavery of uh, uh, people going to Egypt. Where was his destiny? Come on, y'all, get with me. Where was his destiny? Egypt on the throne. Everything that happened to him. Moved him close. And by the way, say, what about the jail? It was the jail where the king's prisoners were held. It wasn't just any jail. Are y'all with? Are y'all getting in? Preacher, what's the point? The bigger picture is this: I don't care who hurt you. I don't care what they did to you. All they did was get you close to where God wanted you to be. But you don't know what they done to me. Yeah, but if you if that hadn't happened, you wouldn't be here today. If this hadn't took place, that wouldn't have took place. If, if I hadn't been here, I wouldn't have got there. He said, I'm in the place of God. And all those things that come against me, all they did was hone me and sharpen me and get things out of me. It may have hurt for a little bit, but all it did was make me more like Christ. 
For all things, Romans 8, 28, for all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them that are called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? Next verse. For whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. When you look at the big picture, see, Joseph only had the privilege of one day at a time. So all he could see was the pit at the time. All he could see was the, was the, was a slave at the time. All he could see was being a prisoner in the prison at the time. But when we we can see the big picture, and do you realize Joseph is the greatest type of Christ in all the Bible. He's the greatest type of Christ when you see the big picture. Quit looking at your today wound, and back up, and say, God. Show me the big picture. It was very easy for Joseph to forgive the abuse of his brothers when God showed him the. Some of you still hadn't seen the big picture in your life. Maybe you need to ask today at the altar, God, show me the big picture. So I can forgive those that has wounded me in my life. That's got me to where I am today. Just show me the big picture. You say, preacher, that don't help me none. How about this second one? In everybody's life, there's a bigger picture. In everybody's life, I don't care who you are, there's a bigger pardon. In, in Matthew, in Matthew, Peter is being super spiritual, he thought. And he thought he was going to be really smug and think show the don't try to make the lord think you're more righteous than you are are y'all with me i've been there and it don't work then came peter to him and said lord how often shall my brother sin against me i forget and i forgive him till seven times he thought he was being real spiritual jesus said i say not unto thee until seven times until 70 times seven 70 times seven Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king which would take account of a servant. He tells a story. He said, let me explain to you what I'm talking about. When he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. For as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children, all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him his debt. See, this is what was happening. There was an accountant working for a king who had been embezzling money from him and the debt was so great there was no way in his lifetime he would ever be able to pay that king back. It was a debt that was way too big. It was a debt that was way too large. There was no possibility for him to be able to pay that debt back. And he cried out for mercy. And the king said, all right, I'm going to have mercy. He forgave him all of his debt. But that same servant, that same servant. You see, that first part of that story represents every child of God who's been saved. Do you realize you owe a debt you cannot pay? No human being can pay the sin debt but with their life. The debt is too great. The debt is too much. What does that mean? It means this. Sin put Jesus on the cross. Every nail that went in his hands and his feet, every stripe that came across his back, every wound that Jesus received, you gave it to him. It was our sin that put him there. We are responsible for the death of Christ on the cross. Now watch this. But watch what we do. 
Watch what we do. A lot of us are like this guy. Now, he's just been forgiven a debt he could not pay. He's been forgiven of a great debt. But that same servant went out and found out one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred pence. Nothing, nowhere near what he had just been forgiven. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Doesn't that sound familiar? And he would not, but he cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when the fellow servant saw what was in it, amazing, how are you going to pay a debt when you're in prison? Sometimes we have unreasonable expectations of those that have hurt us. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, watch this, what happened with the Lord. After that, he had called him and said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even have I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if ye have from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. What is Jesus saying here? Here's the implication. Here's the, here's the application of this, this point. You have been forgiven a great debt, a sin debt that nobody could pay. And when somebody offends you, somebody does you wrong, they owe you a debt, typically. And if you refuse to forgive them, if you refuse to let it go, if you refuse to allow God to deal with it, you are holding something against them that Jesus didn't hold against you. How in God's name can we not forgive those that have wronged us after we have wronged Christ so greatly? No one has ever done to us what we did to him. And Jesus is saying, and by the way, did y'all catch the last part of that? The Bible says that he took this man who, who had an unforgiving spirit, who had an unforgiving heart, and he turned him over to the tormentors. I mean, let me name one. Bitterness. Depression. Anxiety disorder. Fatigue. Insomnia. Are y'all with me? Heart problems. High blood pressure. Simply because you refuse to forgive. What are you saying, preacher? Where tormentors come, you better believe they'll come. You better believe that every time you see that person, you'll be tormented in your spirit. You'll be tormented in your heart. Every time you remember that incident, you'll be tormented. Every time you remember that word, you'll be tormented. Every time you remember that wrong deed and that hurtful action, you'll be tormented. Well, preacher, how are we supposed to forgive if we can't forget? It's not about forgetting. You'll never forget, but it won't have an effect on you anymore. A situation that was in my life where somebody done me wrong. I'll never forget it. I can tell you every word just like it was yesterday. I can relive the moment just like it was yesterday. But it don't bother me anymore. It doesn't have an effect on me anymore. It doesn't make my blood pressure go up anymore. It doesn't make me angry anymore. It doesn't make me sweat in my... Are y'all with me? That's what forgiveness will do for you. Because God will remove the effect. God will remove the power it has over your life. God will remove the tormentors out. Where all you have to do is remember and smile and keep on keeping on. 
Listen, when it comes time to forgive, you need to remember there's a bigger picture. You need to remember there's a bigger pardon. You've been forgiven so much greater of what God will ever ask you to forgive somebody else. Number three, if this don't help you, oh, help us. There's a bigger person. There's a bigger person. Over in the book of Acts, we read about a man by the name of Stephen. I love this story. Stephen is a preacher of the gospel. Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost and sees thousands saved. Stephen preaches the same message in the same power in the same way and he gets killed. The Bible says they were, they were, they were pricked in their heart or cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Can you imagine that? I mean, they get some mad. Now that's a congregation. Say amen. I mean, this message infuriates them so much. They, 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 they bite on the man. Gnaw on him. They take him out of the city. And they begin to stone him. They begin to throw rocks at him till he is bruised and broken. And, until his blood starts pouring out of his body. And he's sitting here. Now imagine somebody who has a right to be upset. And as he is bleeding, as he is broken, as he is dying, the Bible says he looks up. Now, everywhere in Scripture you'll find after Jesus dies and goes back to heaven that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. But according to my Bible, I said according to my Bible, Jesus, hallelujah, amen. It says in verse 55 of Acts 7, but he being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Now everywhere in the Bible he's sitting till one of his youngins need him then he's going to stand by me. I'm here to tell you when you need to forgive somebody and you don't think you can, Jesus will stand by you. When you've been hurt beyond imagination and you've been wounded beyond your capability of doing something about it, when you don't think you can, Jesus will stand by you. You say, how do you know? How do you know? He was standing by him. Because the Bible says, Stephen said, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. They took him out and stoned him. And as they stoned him, Stephen called upon God. And listen, this is what he says. He kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? You remember on a bloody hill of Calvary when Jesus was being crucified and he was being beat and he was being spat upon and he was being mocked and ridiculed and he was there bleeding and dying, taking his last breath. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Oh, I'm here to tell you, when it comes time for you to forgive somebody, when it comes time for you to let go of a wound and let go of a hurt, you don't have the ability in the natural man to do it, but there's somebody standing by you that will stand up in you and will forgive through you all you got to do is give him the chance I can't do it but I can do it with him all things are possible with him all things are possible I can do all things with Christ through Christ which strengtheneth me Jesus will raise up in your spirit and Jesus will give you the strength that you need he will give you the words that you need he'll give you the ability that you need but you got to have a willing spirit 
Church, say amen. amen. Let me read this last story. Oh, mercy. Y'all remember Simon. Y'all remember Simon. He was wounded. He was hurt. And he was unforgiven. And he spent his whole life trying to get people to pay for what happened to him and his family. What a miserable way to live. Always on the hunt to get somebody else to pay for what happened to you. But there was another individual that went through the same, same thing. Corey Tinboom. On her arrival at Ravensbrook, the women were marched in the processing center for new arrivals. Here, they had to pile all their belongings in the center of the room and strip naked and also add their clothes to the pile. Imagine naked they had to walk under the bright lights and pass the scrutiny of a dozen guards towards the shower room. By this stage, Corey's sister Betsy was so emaciated and quite ill. And the Bible became Corey's only comfort and daily she would read from it to herself and to the other women. Thus in that evil hellhole, Corey's faith blossomed and all the time she watched her sister get sicker and die. An anguishing death but never once wavered in her faith. Corey's life as a missionary began shortly after the war ended. She traveled all over the place talking about God's love and about forgiveness. And here are Corey's own words as she relates to the experience of forgiveness. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him. The former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrook. Suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing. Betsy's pain, blanched face, memories of the concentration camp back in the... It all came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment of skin. And he came up to me at this church as the church was empty and beaming and bowing. It was the first time since my release that I had seen him and been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he said. I was a guard there, but since that time he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear from your lips as well. Fraulein, Fraulein, again the hand came out, will you please forgive me? Corey says, I stood there and I could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? How grateful I am of your message, Fraulein, he said, to think that as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who had spoke so often to the people in Bloomingdale, the need to forgive, I kept my hand by my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand, but I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. So again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. 
As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all of my heart, I forgive you. For a long moment we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did at that moment. With Corey's willingness came God's power to forgive her former captor. This is what she says, I discovered that it is not, it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healings hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with that command the love to do it itself. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Never again say, I cannot do this, because that's obvious. But from now on, say, he will do it through me. In your own flesh, you cannot do what needs to be done. But through his anointing and his power, you can forgive anything. Because it's not yours, it's his through you. Every head bowed and every eye closed. The musicians are getting ready. And this is what I want you to do. I need everybody to be as still as possible. Every head bowed and every eye closed. They're going to sing a song called Nail It to the Cross. Nail it to the cross. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Be as still as possible. Real soft on the piano. Real soft. I want you to take this, this, this piece of paper in your hand. Y'all clear a spot right here. Clear a spot right here. Get up here, guys, if y'all need to get up here. I want you to take that wound and that hurt and that pain. And we're going to nail it to the cross today. We're going to tack these to this cross. No one's going to see them. No one's going to see them. After this, listen, tonight, I'm going to make a big pile of these things and we're going to burn it symbolically of what God is doing. He's removing it out of your life. If you're ready and willing today to let it go. I want you to take that piece of paper and I want you to bring it up here and then find a place in this altar and tell Jesus you're giving it to him. Whatever that wound is, whatever that hurt is, whatever that pain is, you come and give it to one of these guys, they'll pass it up and we're going to nail it to the cross. Jalen, sing on, son. If God's dealing with your heart, come on. Come give it to Jesus. Come give that burden is to him. Find a place in this altar. Find a place in this altar and tell Jesus, I'm giving it to you.
Come tell him. Come tell him you're letting it go. I'm forgiving it today. I'm letting it go today. Come on, as we sing. Is there a Just give it to Him. Say, God, I can't carry it no more. I refuse to let this control my life anymore. God, I ask you to take it out of my life. I ask you to take it out of my memory. Oh, help us, Lord. Bless these broken people, Lord. I pray, Lord, that your will be done. I pray that you Help them, Lord. forgive him through you trust him and he will church say amen father right now we're going to give our tithes and our offerings we're going to give from our hearts we're going to give spiritually God we're going to give cheerfully scripturally we thank you for all that you've done we thank you forgiveness for that's free God help us to trust you help us Lord that you're Lord to accomplish your will today In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.